0: Welcome back to the podcast. I'm your host, Margaret Pendell, and today I have the honor of introducing you to Pat Tone. Pat Tone is one of the five founding members of Franklin University, Switzerland, and was there when the doors officially opened in 1970. Pat served as Franklin's first president and later became the chairman of the Board of Trustees from 2010 until 2017. Pat Tone has an inherent passion for the importance of good education and is a crucial contributor to the Franklin we know and love today. Officially warm welcome, Pat. It's truly an honor to be introducing you here today.
1: Thank you very much, Margaret. It's great to be here with you.
0: Of course. So where to begin, but the beginning. I think it's crazy. You were 26 when Franklin began just as an idea. And I was wondering if you could kind of go into how you came into such a unique opportunity to be involved in creating Franklin as a founder.
1: Well, in uh, 1969, I was just completing my Master's of Education at Columbia University, having taught uh, simultaneously at the Collegiate School, which is a boys' school on 77th and Broadway. And my very recent uh, young wife and I were looking for a new adventure. Uh, At a party uh, for one of our dear friends, I met David Mellon, who at that point, was the vice president of Fleming College, Switzerland. Happened to be in Lugano, Switzerland. And David offered me a job to start teaching the fall of 1969 uh, literature, drama, and filmmaking. And uh, I snapped up that opportunity. And in September, we were on the Leonardo da Vinci with a group of 60 students. And Will Gaines, my colleague, was aboard and we taught classes all the way across the Atlantic and got off at Genoa after uh, spending three days in Sicily and took buses up to Lugano. It's the first time I was ever in Lugano, first time I was ever in Switzerland, and um, it was an exciting beginning to a whole new experience, September of
0: 1969. I love that. I feel like The introduction to Lugano has totally evolved into what it is today for you. And I was wondering, like, what was your first impression of Lugano when you first came and saw it?
1: You know, uh, the mountains, the lake, the juxtaposition of the mountains against the lake, the beautiful, beautiful terrain, the villages, the small uh, farmhouses, the fields, the planted vineyards were absolutely exhilarating, uh, something like I'd never experienced before. We were excited to be there. We were thrilled to be at the beautiful Fleming College Switzerland campus, and um, it was just a really, really exciting position. And uh, I must also say that having spent uh, almost two and a half weeks with sixty of the students who were attending that year, you felt like you were part of a wonderful camaraderie, a wonderful institution, a wonderful international experience. So I was incredibly impressed with Lugano, with Ticino, and uh, it was a uh, uh, now a lifelong experience.
0: Yeah, and I actually love, so in the beginning, you were the director of admissions, and actually use the first floor of your apartment in New York to recruit students. And I love that idea of just such an intimate setting. And I was wondering if you could tell us more about that process.
1: Well, uh, I'll I'll fast backwards, if you will. Uh, After I arrived in in Lugano in September of 1969, uh, the man who hired me, David Mellon, uh, for some reason... Uh, was given a leave of absence and eventually hired, fired by Mrs. Fleming, who was the owner uh, of the, of Fleming College, Switzerland, and was all of our employers. Uh, She was our employer. And, uh, and what occurred uh, by December, uh, she had a meeting with her board of trustees in New York. They kind of overturned decision to fire David Mellon. And as part of that process, she said, I am going to close uh, Franklin uh, Fleming College in uh, June after graduation in 1970. And that's when, as you're aware of the story, that five of us, four of us who were teachers and administrators at the college and one Lugano businessman, decided to keep the uh, the the spirit of the institution going, but change its name to Franklin in honor of Benjamin Franklin, the first ambassador from the old world to the, the new world, to the old world, and opened our doors in August of 1970. Uh, it, it was, uh, it was a exciting uh, transformation. Now to get to my role uh, we all took separate roles when Franklin was founded and we began operations, uh, it really in, in June of 1970. Uh, I had an apartment uh, building in New York, which was owned by my father, which uh, I, con- I converted the downstairs office into the Franklin College Admissions Office, and I took the role of Director of Admissions. And uh, started interviewing students and uh, reaching out to current students, getting them to come back to the new institution. It was a very, very exciting and very active uh, part of uh, our creative, creative beginning. And it was very, very fortunate for us to, that I, as the only American uh, founder, had um, a base of operations in New York from which we could recruit students, uh, talk to parents, interview potential faculty members. So it was a a really, really wonderful advantage for us in that founding year.
0: Yeah, and so that reminds me, like the transition from Fleming's College to Franklin College, you guys had a lot of actual physical labor that also went into the creation of Franklin And I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about the actual physical creation of the foundation of Franklin.
1: Well, it it was interesting because when Mrs. Fleming closed her college and we created uh, and founded Franklin College, uh, Switzerland, we had to go out and rent uh, our own uh, place. And we found a magnificent uh, antique castle, uh, Villa Cirla, right on the lake in uh, Paradiso, which is a section of Lugano. And um, we had, I mean, we have pictures of our, our first students painting shutters and painting windows and decorating and doing all that sort of thing. And my colleagues, Will Gaines and Theo Brenner and Jacques Villerey, were all there working their tails off to get the campus in order for our opening classes in uh, late August, early September of uh, uh, 1970. Uh, Fortunately, uh, I uh, and my wife had returned to New York in June. We did not, except for a very couple of weeks, take place in that Herculean effort to create the new campus. But uh, I certainly put in my time in the New York office, alternately uh, recruiting, but it wasn't with a paintbrush and a scraper.
0: Yeah. Who knows who got the better end of that stick, you know? <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, it all worked out for the best. That's going that to be said.
0: Definitely. And so after, you know, a year, like almost two years of hard labor, you got to see the first graduation class in 1971. And what was that feeling like to know that, you know, you actually were able to see these people graduate from this institution you created?
1: Well, it was very, very exciting. Uh, Keep in mind that uh, at at graduation, we probably had in that first class of 1971, uh, only um, 30 kids uh, who were graduating. And also keep in mind that uh, Franklin's... uh, Mission in those days, in that earliest uh, beginning year, we had a lot of high school postgraduate programs who were using Franklin as a study abroad opportunity to put in a 13th year in high school to get into a top Ivy League or a top U.S. college. And uh, therefore, I would say. Up to 40% of our enrollment were people who were only there for one year as high school postgraduates, and the other 60% were two year Associate of Arts degree students. But in our opening year, 1971, we did not have accreditation, we did not have official US recognition, and that is an immediate uh, uh, goal that I started working on very, very actively to get us incorporated in the United States. We had been incorporated as a Swiss nonprofit foundation, but we had not yet in 1971 initiated incorporation in the state of Delaware and approval uh, by the Delaware Department of Education for us as a two-year American college. And so that that was the second step in our development.
0: Yeah, and actually, that leads me to another curiosity I had. I don't know if this is too logistic focused, but I was kind of curious about what went into the accreditation process and kind of what the reactions were when you said, hey, we're going to create this institution in the most beautiful place in the world. What do you guys think? You know, how was that?
1: Well, it was it was a, a real trip for the Department of Education of the state of Delaware. Um, uh, The actual incorporation in Delaware was a pretty straightforward uh, process. But then when we took our incorporation and went to the Department of Education and sat down and explained what our mission was, what our faculty base was, what our uh, accommodations were, it it was pretty hard for them to wrap their heads around uh, a European-based American educational institution who wanted to seek accreditation approval as a Delaware institution of higher learning. And ultimately, uh, the second step was uh, applying for accreditation by the Middle States Association of Secondary Schools and Colleges, who accredited everything from George Washington to uh, uh, Columbia, to all the major colleges in the northeastern United States. But we started with Delaware. We passed the test. We were approved as a Delaware institution of higher learning, and then immediately started the process for full accreditation from middle states.
0: It's really cool. And so earlier you mentioned that Franklin, as many people may know, is named after Benjamin Franklin. And I was wondering how that kind of title set the stage for, you know, the almost, I want to say like morals of Franklin's existence.
1: Well, uh, Benjamin Franklin was the first uh, first ambassador from the New World to the Old World, he was very, very uh, persuasively talked of, about uh, the need for uh, an Atlantic uh, cooperate, Atlantic cooperation, and a uh, give and take among the newest nation and the Old World countries, and so he was a very, very uh, persuasive spokesman for internationalism and international cooperation. And we just felt that he stood as kind of a paragon of the exact um, goals that we sought to create in our educational process and in our educational goals.
0: Yeah, I love that idea. And how does it feel to kind of see Franklin Grow as an institution and have this idea really be something that impacts so many people's lives in such a positive way?
1: Well, keep in mind that when we founded the school, uh, even for the first five or six or seven or eight years, it was almost 99% American students coming over for two years, uh, AA degree, or for a high school postgraduate program, we had very, very little representation from international students. But quite soon after receiving full accreditation and expanding our admissions effort, uh, we generally uh, began to uh, get more, in first from the Middle East, uh, then from the Far East, uh, then from Central Europe, we increase the population of our uh, student body to a significant number. And it's kind of stayed in the last 20, 25 years, 60% uh, U.S., 40% international. But when my son was there for a, a year abroad in 1994, there were almost 70% international students and only 30% uh, U.S. students. So we've had these variations, but um, the the point is that we started as an opportunity to educate U.S. uh, students in Europe and ultimately, in the last 30 years, uh, moved away from the Atlantic Partnership to the global perspective. And now we are entirely a global institution with a global outlook.
0: Yeah, definitely. And so I kind of wanted to get into some of your favorite memories or stories from Franklin. But before we get into that, I actually had a story of my own, which I thought was really funny. So Kevin McNeely was actually on the podcast as well. And he mentioned a story of you guys actually going skiing together in St. Moritz and him just realizing, you know, how close in age you actually were to them. And yet you had created this institution. And I just thought that was a really funny story. And I don't know if you uh, remember the trip, but I just, he told me to mention it when I got on conversation with you.
1: I remember that trip like it was yesterday. Uh, I drove Kevin and Harry McMahon and a bunch of his colleagues from Claremont Men's College who were spending a semester. I drove them in one of our Volkswagen minivans up to San Moritz in the morning, and we were up there on the lifts when they opened, and here we are, uh, all these, I've got to say it, young guys. whisking down the mountain and i think uh at one point i turned and i said hey hey guys you know don't think of me as an old man i'm only seven years seven years older than you are <laughs> but uh, another cool story about kevin yeah, kevin and harry mcmahon uh were over at my house for dinner and uh, my wife was very very pregnant and it was uh harry's 21st birthday and uh, We've stayed up late drinking grappa and uh, uh, you know uh, coffees, and at uh, midnight, my wife walked into the room and said, I'm, "I think I'm having the baby." And I said, "Kevin, Harry, you've got to get out of here. I've got to take my wife to the Clinica Santana, which is across from our campus now, and my daughter and Harry McMahon uh, share the same birthday. <laughs> So and, uh, yeah yeah it, it was it and, you know in those days uh the school was very small i had we had students over for dinner two or three times a week and practically every weekend we were on a minibus going to Andermatt or to uh you know some other place for hikes and skiing and the vendania the harvest it was a really really exciting time
0: yeah it sounds really fun and so were the trips more collaborative? Like the students would say, "Hey, let's go here," or were you and were you guys having kind of a conversation of like, "Okay, so where do we want to go?" Like, how were those decided?
1: That was definitely the way it was. It was collaborative. You'd had have, have some students who were uh, some of your favorite students, and they said, "Well, what about Samaritz this weekend?" And what about Andermatt uh, the weekend after? If it was the ski season, and what about Valver Saska? What about uh, a trip down to uh, uh, the Mediterranean, and it was very, very collaborative, but it was almost constant, and virtually all the faculty in the early days uh, entertained students at home. You know, it's, it's almost similar today, I mean, in the spirit, not the actual process, but uh, it, uh, it's very, very encouraging to see that type of closeness between faculty and students continues to exist.
0: Yeah, definitely. And something that I'm very curious to hear about is you actually got to go to travel to the Soviet Union. Um, and I was wondering what was that like? Because it was during the Cold War, right? Or Yes, yeah. it was in, in, in
1: 1971. Uh, I took uh, a group with Will Gaines as, as, my, as a, the, the co-leader. And we took a group, I think, of 23 or 25 students. Uh, To the Soviet Union, and we flew. and, And because we were coming from Switzerland, we registered as a Swiss students' group through the travel agency Sputnik, which was the student travel agency in the Soviet Union. And when we started coming in to the airport and showing American passports, our guides almost went crazy, and we had to wait for 45 minutes an hour and they then assigned additional guides to us who i'm sure were kbgb agents and they kept their eyes on us every second of the day from that point but we went we took the train up from moscow to st petersburg we took a bus to Novgorod. there was lots of fun lots of drinking lots of uh you know uh kids trading dollars for uh, Roubles, which was absolutely prohibited, and I even remember on a tour to Lenin's grave in the uh, in the center of Moscow, uh, we had some students who had probably a little bit too much wine for lunch, and you file down, and there was Lenin lying exposed he, uh, with a canopy over him, but you could see him, and photographs were not permitted, and we were filing out, and I saw thought I saw flashing light bulbs and we got out of Lenin's tomb and the police ran out and arrested three of our students for taking photographs. And uh, Will Gaines was a master. He became a very, very respected diplomat in later years, but his diplomacy, he prevented them from being thrown into prison for breaking Soviet law. But anyway, those are the kind of moving experiences that we had all together as a group.
0: Yeah, I love that. And I, what other travels did you get to go on? Like, I guess, more more um, official travels rather than the kind of casual ones you did every weekend.
1: Well, you know, we had uh, the academic travel for two weeks uh, every, uh, every semester. But the, the Soviet Union trip was a spring break trip. It oh. wasn't part. Of academic travel. So it was kids who didn't want to go home or didn't have any other plans, so they took a spring break trip to the Soviet Union. The same thing existed for many, many years, but um, uh, as I became uh, president in, I think it was 74, 75, and that's when my life changed dramatically. I traveled to the United States. I could only teach one class because I had to spend Oh gosh, almost three months on the road, and uh, and so I didn't do academic travel anymore. But I became more and more involved with administration and uh, public relations, and uh, you know, getting our name out in the United States.
0: Yeah, and was your family living in Lugano? Because you mentioned obviously your wife had um, her, your daughter in Clinica Santana, but did your family live in Lugano for a period of time, or did they actually move back to the U.S.?
1: No, we lived in Lugano from uh, 1969 to 1978, but we would return to the United States for me to man uh, our New York office for three months every summer. And usually uh, that, that would end in uh, the beginning of September when we would escort a group of 60, 80, 100 students back on the Swiss air flight from JFK, To uh, Zurich, and then bring them down either by train. Uh, But I had a beautiful house in uh, in uh, uh, in Lugano and uh, and uh, in Aurelio, and uh, uh, we and my kids were in school. My son was literally born at the Clinica Santana, and um, in 1973. So we were very much part of the Swiss. Uh, Curriculum, I mean, Swiss uh, social system. And matter of fact, I played for a semi pro ice hockey team in Lugano for five
0: years. Oh my God, that's so cool. I love those (laughs) games. Actually, it's funny, though, that Swiss flight is honestly a long standing tradition for Franklin. People exactly love it. I love that. And I was wondering. When you talk about Franklin to people who might not know Franklin, or people who do, what is like some of the main things that you say to describe it?
1: Well, I, I, I first say it—it's it, uh, an institution with a a global a global, uh, a global uh, position and a, a global outlook that we're very much. I mean, Swiss has always been international, it's always been independent, it's always been a belief in freedom and equal opportunity and justice, and we very much stand for that at at Franklin. Uh, But aside from that, uh, we are an intimate institution. We are an institution which values the relationships between faculty and students from the classroom to academic travel to weekend trips. Um, we are continuing to be involved intimately in the lives of our students and uh, uh, have made a, a long term commitment to excellence, globalism, international outlook, and we have not wavered from that in 50 years.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I was also wondering what advice would you give to current students or Fresh, brand new students that are coming into Franklin on how to really get the most out of their Franklin experience.
1: Well, uh, part of it is learn a working uh, level of Italian. If you if you've had other languages, uh, Swiss languages at, at school, uh, try to use them and uh, <coughs> never stop looking, never stop uh, inquiring, never stop exploring the local community, uh, the little restaurants and the little pubs and the little uh, museums and the little, uh, you know, uh, kiosks and things like that, uh, never let your curiosity uh, for life uh, go. I mean, or excuse me, let your curiosity for life go unlimited and get as much out of it as you can Don't stay sequestered in your your, uh, dorm room. Uh, Don't stay, you know, socializing with only your friends. But go expand your horizon. Look, uh, challenge yourself, and and be a part of this totally international experience.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. And on a small tangential note, do you have anywhere that you recommend that students must go to see in the Lugano area?
1: Must go to sea.
0: Yeah. I uh, yes. Uh
1: I I was uh, I got my Swiss pilot's license when I was there in Switzerland. I love Aurelio. Uh they have an open air market on the weekends. Uh I love Caslano. We lived very close to Caslano. Uh we would shop in Ponte Teresa, take the train from uh, downtown out to Ponte Teresa. I would say if you can take short trips if you can uh travel you know a couple of hours explore ticino uh and explore switzerland if if you can but um uh it is such a fascinating uh enriching and complete location
0: yeah get get a volkswagen and just go get a volkswagen van and just go
1: <laughs> exactly exactly
0: well i want to thank you so much for being part of the podcast it's been super fun to get kind of an insight on the creation and formation of Franklin. So I really appreciate uh, your time.
1: Margaret, it was great to to be uh, interviewed by you. I I applaud the job you're doing to put these podcasts together. And I wish you well in the future. And let me know if I can give you any more help.
0: Thank you so much. Yeah, maybe we'll see each other at the reunion.
1: (laughs) Oh, you better believe it. We're going to be there
0: yes i'm very excited well cheers to that i look forward to it and i wish you the best ciao